Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Dean Smith to my Daniel Farker. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, we're recording eight hours later than you originally thought. Uh, technically, I was early. I was eight hours early. I, I uh, lined yeah. up, queued up at 10 to 7 thinking uh, we'd be recording at that point. But no, you said no. No. For listeners to have a look, quick look behind the curtain, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon so we can get it out to you guys first thing on Thursday morning. But Justin <laughs> got up at the crack of dawn, got yep. his computer ready to record a podcast and was wondering... Where's Ryan? Yep. Um, and now here we are, finally getting round to it, Justin. You're not too tired, are you, after waking up so early? No, I'm okay. It was just the fact that I rushed my notes when I didn't have to. I had some <laughs> extra time to do them, that was all. But you know, I spent a little bit more time on them, don't worry about that. This is a, a quality podcast, not a not a get stuff done in 10 minutes podcast, because I just go out of the shower. Not like usually. Not that um, Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen. What we're going to do on the show today is we're going to go through all the games from midweek. Well, I say all the games, two games from midweek, which includes Burnley v Norwich, a massive game near the top of the table. So we'll talk about that. Look ahead to a couple of the games heading this weekend and then we'll finish off with some news and did he or didn't he right at the end so plenty for us to get through in the show this week but before we get underway let me tell you listener about our friends at Fansbet the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to 200 Pounds. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info. And do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. So we'll kick things off with the big game at the top of the championship. Justin Moore near the top of the championship anyway. Burnley beat Norwich 1-0 thanks to a late penalty by Jay Rodriguez. This of course a meeting between two relegated sides. Although wouldn't have guessed it Justin because Burnley were much the better side here, weren't they? Yeah, they were miles ahead of Norwich. And it's a massive shame from a Norwich perspective because um, this this really could have been a game where you know two very good attacking teams um, come together. And it wasn't really the case. Burnley dominated the ball. They were really good um, as usual. They've got a really good selection of individual players where if you get them into good areas, which is what company's football is about, getting, getting the good technical players into good areas and making things happen. Um, they got them into good areas and... As I said, they made things happen. It was a very productive final third performance without the goals. I think that was the only thing that really let Burnley down is that I had to rely on a penalty from Rodriguez late in the game to um, to get the three points. But this should have been wrapped up a lot sooner than, than when it was. But can't really criticise the performance. These games are always going to be tight. Burnley, Burnley edged it. Um, but you say edged it. I wouldn't say they battered Norwich, but they were miles ahead. Miles ahead. Yeah, it was quite often attack v defence, wasn't it? Burnley had plenty of chances, but just couldn't get them on target, really. They plenty of half chances, really, weren't they? But they kept creating them in abundance, and you thought this has got to go their way at some point. And then it eventually did after the penalty, which came from Grant Hanley sticking out an arm in a very unnatural position and a simply obvious decision for the referee. Timo Puki did have a great chance towards the end of the game for Norwich, where he was one-on-one with the goalkeeper Murich, but he fluffed his lines, although it was still a good save by Murich. Mm. I think it says a lot about the lack of confidence in this Norwich side, though, doesn't it? This time, a year and a half ago, that was Timo Puki's bread and butter. We'll talk more about 
Norwich shortly, but this result means Burnley moved to the top of the championship and I continue to think, Justin, that they could be there come the end of the season. Yeah, and when you consider the fact that they, I don't think they've really got going yet and they've got to integrate Scott Twine into this team as well eventually when he, when he does become match fit. Um, this team can only get better and I think as well if they revisit some of the issues that I thought they had in the summer i.e. probably getting in a couple of more experienced players I think they need a little bit more depth in central midfield as well because God bless them Jack Cook, Josh Brownhill and uh, Josh Cullen have played a lot of minutes between them um, if they uh, bring in a little bit of depth there and also a backup striker for Jay Rodriguez I'm not convinced by Ashley Barnes at all not in a not in a not as a lone forward anyway um yeah they will they will certainly get better they're a brilliantly coached team you've got to take your hats off to um to Vincent Company for really changing things around as um as much as he has it's it's quite an incredible rise and I think this relegation for some clubs I know relegation is a bad thing but for some clubs it can be a good thing and I think Burnley are using that to their advantage it's just whether it's too soon to say whether they can go up or not is is another thing. But they've 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 had a really good chance to reset under company, and it's paid dividends for them. Yeah, he is doing a remarkable job, isn't he? A lot of our praise for him this season has been about the change in the style of play, which is pretty amazing in itself. Going from mm. Brexit ball to being a really <laughs> exciting and enjoyable team to watch. They've nearly completed as many passes this season as they did throughout the whole of last season, which is. Quite funny, really, when you think about it. But to also get the results while trying to change quite a lot is damn impressive. Keep in mind as well, they signed a lot of players in the summer. In fact, only four of the players that started against Norwich throughout the club last season. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of turnover in that playing squad. So we just have to get all these players together, make them into a team. But the cohesion is there already, isn't it? And... I will be honest, when Burnley appointed him, I wasn't too convinced because his record at Anderlecht on face value wasn't anything to shout about. But one loss all season, top of the league, without a doubt for me, the most likely team to win the division right now. I don't think you can praise company enough for how well they're doing, especially impressive when he's still a young manager in the grand scheme of things, isn't he? I mean, he's had some pretty good tutors, to be honest. Pep Guardiola, <laughs> Pellegrini, Mancini. Not the worst people to be learning off, but either way, he's taken what he's learned from them and really taken it over into a managerial career that so far has been really, really impressive. Uh, but it is just one win in eight now for Norwich. We've been defending Dean Smith recently missed calls for him to be sacked by supporters. It'd be a lot easier to defend him if Norwich played well, but they didn't here, did they? No, it was a, it was a poor performance. It felt like they were shutting up shop and trying to play for the draw, which tells me that, one, Dean Smith isn't necessarily overly convinced by this group of players, and two... They're not get, he's not getting the best out of them either. Um, I think if you go back to, I hate I hate referring back to Daniel Farker, but I think Daniel Farker at Norwich is almost the perfect spell, championship spell um, from a manager going up and down between the Premier League because no matter what, no matter the group of players, they played the same way and it got results. Um, and I think Dean Smith's struggling to get his team confident and playing the way he wants them to play, um, which is a massive, massive, massive shame. Um, because if you go back to his Aston Villa spell, turned them around, got them playing football, he had a very good group of players, but they weren't well coached by Steve Bruce. Duh. Um, but Dean Smith got them organised um, and, and got them playing good football and got them creating a lot of opportunities. Um, and I feel like he's overcomplicating it now in Norwich, which I think tells you a lot of his 
limitations as a manager, as a coach, and maybe lack of experience as well. I know he's got top flight experience, but it's not like Aston Villa weren't spending a lot of money. It wasn't like they had a poor squad either. Um, he, he was getting results. and um, But if you go back to his Brentford spells, they were up and down. They were up and down in the Championship, despite having a very good squad. And Thomas Frank came in and got them playing as playoff contenders. So I, I do worry about Dean Smith and whether or not he's the right man for this for this squad. I, I think he's a very good coach, but maybe this sort of expectation on squad is a step too far for him, potentially. Well, when Norwich appointed him, I thought it was a strange move. It didn't really feel like the next log- next logical step from Daniel Fark, did oh, not it? Great. And, no, and Norwich fans are yet to experience any real good times under Dean Smith. Aside from that first 10 games of the season, it's been a lot of losing under him and it's the good times that really forge relationships between managers and supporters. And I don't think there's really a relationship there yet. And that always meant that as soon as things started going wrong for him at Norwich, there was going to be a bad response from supporters and he wouldn't have been given more of a kind of, uh, more of a easy go. For example, if this was Daniel Farker, I think fans would be willing to give him more of a benefit of the doubt but because it's Dean Smith and fans have really yet to see how good a manager he is, then there's less patience for them. I don't think they should sack him right now, but the longer this bad run goes on, the harder it is to defend him. And the thing is, I think things are getting worse as opposed to getting yeah. better. Because yeah. that, that performance against Burnley was really, really poor. So the team looks low on confidence. They don't didn't really seem to know what they were doing against Burnley. And it's it's getting to the point where it's becoming more and more difficult to defend Smith. I don't think Norwich will sack him anytime soon, just because I don't think they're that kind of club. But if things don't improve before the World Cup, then they may decide then is an opportune time to change things because the new manager will have at least a month or so to you know, get to grips with things at the club. And... Um, if things don't improve by then, then things will be looking quite dire for Norwich in terms of their chances of going straight back up at the first time of asking. Let's go to the other game from midweek, Justin. An injury time penalty by Victor Jokerez rescued a point for Coventry at home to Rotherham. 2-2 this one finished. Quite a good game, this. Both teams gave a fairly good account of themselves. Rotherham probably just edging it. I, I don't think you could really split them in terms of chances created. It was a really good open game of football. Um, and probably one that surprised me given that Coventry have done such a good job of limiting opposition I was praising them at the weekend because of how um, how well they've done in terms of limiting opposition um, but the fact that they got Callum O'Hare and Casey Palmer into this starting 11 uh, you know, there was a lot of a lot of good things happening um, in that final third and Rotherham were yeah, as productive uh, as well the, I think the goal they scored Bramwell's goal was a really good um, breakaway and then Daniel Barlas, oh god, yeah, he's a good player. Um, yeah, this, yeah, just a really good open game of football. Probably a result that neither manager would have wanted, given the balance of how well they played um, individually as, as teams. Um, but nonetheless, well, yeah, this this was the game of the night, not Burnley Norwich. Yeah, you mentioned Dan Barlasser there, Justin. I think I'll let us have a, a good few minutes. Yes, please. Maybe not, maybe not a few minutes. I think Rotherham <laughs> fans might get a bit bored if we go on for too long. But what a player. What a player he is. I, I have said this before, but it does surprise me that other clubs haven't mm-hmm. come in for him. And I don't mean that in a patronising way towards Rotherham. He's just a proper talented player and is clearly the most talented of the bunch at uh, the New York Stadium, isn't he? And... 
is actually head and shoulders above in terms of just clear technical ability than other players. He's playing this kind of Perlo role at the moment mm-hmm. and is just so good at it. You want your most talented players on the ball as much as possible. And that's what Rotherham are trying to do with him because he's great at giving them a bit of control that they sometimes lack in games. But he's also still capable of pulling off that killer pass. Only four players have created more chances per game than him this season. And keep in mind, he's doing this from deep in midfield. So I'm a big fan of the Gateshead Perlow, Justin. And he's going to have to keep playing really well to maintain... Uh, Rotherham's chances of staying up but when you've got players like him then it's worth the weight in gold isn't he yeah I'm not exaggerating here and I've, I've praised him quite a few times this little plug on my, my articles for, for fans but I've praised him a lot um, I have him in my top three midfielders performance wise uh, top midfield performance this season um, alongside Ollie Norwood and Josh Brownhill um, because yeah just his ability to dictate play from uh, from deep his ability to Rather than play a lot of balls into the channels, but his ability to play the right balls into channels, they're not just hitting hope balls, they're in really good areas. I think go back to that um, Reading game where Reading were an absolute calamity at the back and Joe Lumley had a mare. Daniel Barlasser was playing those passes in those areas. Um, and granted, Joe Lumley wasn't um, wasn't at his best, but Barlasser was playing those passes um, and he was making players double think, make, uh, think twice. Um, he's just a quality, quality player who... Um, yeah, it deserves a lot of recognition because he probably won't get it because he is playing for an unfashionable team, quote unquote, in Rotherham, um, which is which is unfair to Rotherham because they're getting good results, really good attacking display here against Coventry, and they've got some really good individuals. We can talk about Ben Wales as well, but Barlasser, yeah, cream of the crop. Yeah, really, really is. Uh, going back to the game, it's a result which I think both will be fairly happy with in terms of uh, the result, Coventry because they snatched a point late on Rotherham, probably would have taken a point before the game. So I think both can be uh, fairly satisfied. The only thing I got down for Coventry is that Callum O'Hare made just his second appearance this season after recovering from a long-term injury. And he could be a huge boost for Coventry, couldn't he, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. And I think getting Casey Palmer into that team as well, alongside Callum O'Hare, will be quite important. Um, mainly because Matty Godden and Martin Michael are not prolific this season. Um, so if you've got those two playing behind Victor Gyokeres, that could um, that could be a very productive final third, I think, um, and very much get the best out of both O'Hare and Palmer, um, especially with O'Hare coming back for, to full full match fitness. Having Palmer in there will take that burden away from him a little bit that he maybe had last season, um, which which yeah will absolutely help. Um, but yeah, they were they, they were both good. Um, Palmer was was, was brilliant. Um, the midfield again in, with Hamer was, was good, and the back three Callum uh, Callum Doyle sorry uh, was really comfortable playing out from the back. I think the only criticism you could have of, of both teams actually was the amount of chances they could conceded but that's what you get when you've got a really good open game of football yeah absolutely right let's take a quick break just after that we'll have a look ahead to some of the games coming up in the championship this weekend and then get on to some of the news from the past few days boy oh boy has there been a lot of news Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So let's have a look ahead to the weekend, Justin, in the Championship. We'll do our preview the same as we did a couple of weeks ago, where you give me a team you think is most likely to win this weekend, a banker, you might say, and which team will cause somewhat of an upset. So, Justin, what is your so-called banker in the Championship this weekend? It's got to be Millwall over Huddersfield, hasn't it? (laughs) Surely. 
Okay, um, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear why. I think yes. I can guess why. Yes, yes. Um, well, I think firstly, Millwall's form. Um, they've won four on the bounce and Huddersfield haven't been great, to be very polite. Um, but I think the physical aspect that is going to come into the game, especially from set, set pieces, is going to push Millwall to the win, to, to those three points. Um, if you look at Jake Cooper against Watford, for example, Watford couldn't deal with the aerial chaos he brought to every long ball into the box um, and they created a lot of chances from it. And given Huddersfield's inability to defend the physical side of things in recent weeks, um, I go back to the Press and Rotherham games. Um, I think it was Greg Cunningham. No one attacked the header for his goal um, again, yeah, against Preston. And then obviously Rotherham, I think it was George Kelly, um, the knockdown from Wood. He had two players on him. Um, Jake Cooper's going to lap it up if Huddersfield are not prepared. And for me, Millwall are strong enough and, and, and disciplined enough to see out a clean sheet against a side who do not create many chances at all. So certainly Millwall to keep a clean sheet could be 1-2 or 3-0. The only question mark I'd had over this is Millwall's away form isn't great. I think they've only got the one win on the road this season, but it is worth remembering Huddersfield are really shit at the moment. So <laughs> that may be enough <laughs> to get Millwall over the line. <laughs> My banker is Luton at home to Sunderland. People may say it's a bit strange to be back in a team after they've just been spanked at the weekend, but this is no ordinary team, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> For some reason, Luton take at least one hiding every season, but they never dwell on it. Last season, they lost 7-0 to Fulham, followed up with a 1-0 win against Reading. They also lost 5-0 to Birmingham, drew one or, uh, drew 0-0 with Sheffield United the next game. The season before, they were beaten 4-0 by Cardiff. They then beat eventual title winners Norwich 3-1. Uh, the season before, Brentford smashed them 7-0, followed up by beating Wigan 2-1. Why this happens? No idea. It's very strange, but they're good for making up for a, a bad performance, is what I'm trying to say. Plus, this Luton side were flying prior to that Watford game at the weekend. They're a very good side. I continue to be convinced that they'll be challenging for promotion this season because there's quality all over the pitch. Nathan Jones, a fantastic manager, and that can cause any team problems, uh, including this Sunderland side who have got problems of their own. They're really struggling without a striker. Three losses in four games, one win in seven, and I can see it being another frustrating afternoon for the Black Cats, Justin. Yeah, uh, I agree with you to an extent. The logic's there. Um I mean, they didn't concede seven, so maybe perhaps they needed to concede another three more to guarantee three points in the following game. But um, yeah, certainly, especially at home, um, it it does make sense. Sunderland are a solid team. They've got some really good footballing um, individuals in that final third. And obviously they are missing a forward to to knit that all together. Um, but I don't think this is going to be as straightforward for Luton just because, as I say, Sunderland are a good team under Tony Mowbray who can set his teams up very well. Although they have won one in the last six, which perhaps, yeah, probably does sway things massively in Luton's favour. One minute seven, actually, Justin. Um, what is your upset of the weekend? I say upset. We, we don't go outrageous on this, do we? We just think the team who aren't necessarily favourites, but we think we'll get three points. Yeah, there are no upsets in the Championship. Anybody can beat anyone on anyone's day, apart from Huddersfield, apparently. Um, as much of an upset as you can get in the Championship <laughs> when upsets happen pretty much on a weekly basis. Yeah, yeah. Well, now we've defined it. I'm, I'm going to go with Birmingham to beat QPR. Um, 
And it's quite quite a ballsy one, but I backed Birmingham the other week, and they, I think they did come true, actually. Um, but but anyway, Birmingham are in a really good run of form, especially away from home. They set up really, really, uh, really well. Um, they allow their technical players to thrive in the middle of the park. Both Hannibal and Chong have been outstanding. But as well as that, Scott Hogan's form over the last few weeks has been remarkable. Um, he's looked dangerous and threatening every time he gets the ball in the final third. And I think the one thing that is getting the best out of him in this team is they're just playing to his strengths. They're not making him run channels. They're getting him into that final third areas and just playing balls in front of him to run onto and into the box. And it's paying dividends. And if I go back to the, um, goodness, who did they play the other, the other day? Uh, Blackburn. They create a hell of a lot of chances in possession as well, um, which I think is something that's going to um, really, really help as well. With QPR, they're coming into this game after pretty flat performance against Wigan. Um, Wigan may set up in a similar way to to Birmingham, albeit less technically advanced than perhaps Birmingham are. Um, but they conceded a lot of chances to to Wigan, and I just think Birmingham will maybe QPR might be heading into a little bit of performance slump. Might still get results, but performance slump. But for me, yeah, Birmingham may well win this one one nil. It's interesting. I'll give you that. Uh, my upset is Middlesbrough away at Preston. I'm banking on a new manager bounce under Michael Carrick. On paper, it's safe to say Middlesbrough are a much better side than Preston. Carrick won't have had much time on the training ground to drill into his players how he wants to play. But the hope will be that the players have got enough of an understanding of it. Plus a confidence boost that the club is now going in the right direction. Because if this team uh, gets more confidence, then... They'll be playing a lot better and considering they have got superior, uh, superior talented players uh, than this Preston side, then they should be uh, looking to get a result here, without a doubt. Um, a club not going in the right direction right now is Preston. Three losses from four games. They've only won once at Deepdale this season, scoring just the two goals in that time. And after being a defensive wall earlier in the season, they've now conceded two or more goals in four of their last five. Fans aren't enormously impressed with Ryan Lowe, and the frustration could continue against a Middlesbrough side who are just beginning a new era under Mr Carrick. So I fancy uh, Michael Carrick to begin his reign at the Riverside Stadium with a big three points. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And West Brom have confirmed the appointment of former Huddersfield boss Carlos Corbran as head coach on a two and a half year deal. He takes over from Steve Bruce, who was sacked a couple of weeks ago. We have spoken about this appointment already, Justin, but how big is the job that Corbran has on his hands? Yeah, it's um, pretty significant. As I was saying um, in, in, in a previous episode, if it was done five or six games ago, his job probably would have made, been made a lot easier because he's got that bedding in period just before this big, long international break of the World Cup that we've got coming up. Um, and then he's got time to get his ideas across. But... This West Brom team's a complete mess, uh, complete shambles and not reflective of the quality of its, uh, that it's got. Um, and what he's got to do is he's got to come in, um, get the players confident quickly and organised as well. Um, and then he's got to start playing to their strengths and getting them scoring chances um, that this West Brom team can create. They've got ability, but for whatever reason, it's not been happening. Um, what you're saying, got, Justin, is he's got a big old to-do list. and It's he, massive. Whether he, can, whether he can tick all those boxes, is uh, it's a big, big effort from him, isn't it? 
Yeah, and it's an unforgiving league. Um, it's a, it's an incredibly unforgiving league, and with with West Brom and the quality that they've got, it's just not been happening. And how hostile it's been at the Hawthorns. He's not exactly walking into a club that is a fresh. Like I feel, I feel like Michael Carrick's got a slightly better deal at um, Middlesbrough, in the sense that the you know there's no um, board apathy, is there? There's no resentment to the board um, and the running of the club at, at Middlesbrough, not at least as much as it is at West Brom. So it's not exactly you know a bed full of roses um, over in the West Midlands. It's going to be a big, big job, um, and it's just whether or not he's got the ability to deal with it, because obviously. Went tits up at Olympiacos, um, one out of two good seasons at Huddersfield and a good record as a coach with Leeds. Um, he's relatively untested in this scenario. Yeah, I I continue to be a bit unconvinced by this appointment because I think Carlos Corbran is a brilliant manager, but because of the trouble that West Brom are in, that's where my concerns lie. The one thing that you mentioned there, just in that, which I think is really, really key, is how toxic an atmosphere there is at the Hawthorns right now because of everything that's happened over the past two seasons now. There's a lot of resentment towards the board um, and there was a lot of resentment towards Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce is out of the picture now, but that resentment for the board still remains. Now, Carlos Corbrandt will be heading in there and I imagine quite a few fans will still be fairly unconvinced by this appointment and be looking to be proved straight away about how good a coach he is. Now, for example, if this was someone like, I know, Chris Wilder coming in, you know, a big name, then fans would be able to get behind it and say, great, this is an exciting new period under this new manager. But because it's Carlos Corbran, who I imagine quite a few hard-nosed West Brom fans aren't as familiar with, then that kind of negative atmosphere will still be lingering around the club. So unless Carlos Corbrand manages to get results on the door or on the wall straight away, whatever the phrase is, um, then I feel like that feeling of negativity may continue to linger and become even more stronger and then go towards Carlos Corbrand as well. And as we've seen with this West Brom um, fan base over the past couple of seasons, once you... Um, not lose the fans or lose the fans for lack of a better term, then that's really, really hard to overcome when you're a manager. Mm -hmm. So I think Carlos Corbin has got to hit the ground running. Otherwise, things will continue to be very, very sour at West Brom. Let's go to Michael Carrick, who's finally been appointed as the head coach of Middlesbrough. Two things are quite interesting here, Justin. Head coach instead of manager. It at least makes it clear that his role is, of of course, to coach the players, uh, pick the team, etc. He doesn't have the final say on who they sign, which is which led to Chris Wilder's downfall. The other thing is our old pal Jonathan Woodgate, part of the coaching staff. Now, he was at Middlesbrough in 2019 as the manager. It went terribly. So I find it a bit strange that he's been brought back into the mix of things. Yes and no. He's obviously he knows he knows the club. Clearly knows Michael Carrick. Um, otherwise he wouldn't have got the job. Um, he's got experience as a number one and as a coach. So it does make sense on paper. And he is he is a good coach by um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for by reputation. He is a good coach by reputation, and I think that goes a long way as well. Perhaps managers probably a step too far, but it's the same with quite a lot of coaches who don't quite make it as managers who are actually good coaches. 
Um, and I think Woodgate falls into that category. So I, I think it's a shrewd move because, again, he's going to know the club, he's going to know the players, he's going to know the infrastructure, and he's a good coach. Um, and it gives Michael Carrick a sound, um, a sound base to, to, to work off in that sense. And as well as that, as I say, he's got experience as a number one, which I think is going to help massively, especially in the championship, of which Michael Carrick has very limited experience. Even as a player, I think he had a half a season with West Ham. So, yeah, um, I think I think it's quite a shrewd move. I don't disagree with it. The only thing I would say is, if this was in the workplace and you had a manager there who nearly bankrupt the whole company and then he was brought back in as an advisor a few a few years later you'd go what on earth is going on here so in a in an office sense it would be a bit weird in football i don't know if that translates over so we'll have to wait and see i suppose the daily mail is reporting wigan are late paying players wages again it's claimed it's the third time that it's happened. Some of the squad are said to be considering their positions amid serious concerns over the financial situation at the club. Third parties are being instructed to find a buyer and the EFL is aware of the situation. The club's chairman, Talal Al-Hamad, has taken to social media to deny there was a problem. Now, of course, this comes only two years after the club went into administration and it's very concerning to be hearing rumblings once again, Justin. Yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it is concerning. I think it's important to also just take a step back and if there's any further reports of it happening and official confirmation from the club, that will that will solidify things. But from one article, it's quite hard to um, to judge. But it does it does exemplify the um, absolute uh, necessity to get um, an independent party to. I can't remember to regulate the championship. It's, it's afternoon recordings, right? Just, recording just we get it, we get it. You're on your high horse again, talking yes. about an independent regulator. Yes. It happens every single time something bad happens at a football club. We get it. You want one? Well, I mean, if these things keep cropping up and becoming an issue, and even if it's just late payments because of holidays, um, then there should be a course of action in place to um, rectify that or to eradicate that possibility completely, because. There's no reason why that should happen. There's absolutely no reason why it should happen. Fair enough, the Jubilee happening in June, I think, is one of the reasons why, you know. But then again, we knew that was happening anyway. We knew that was coming up because it was a solid date for a long time. Um, but there's no reason why players should be played late, especially not now when bank transfers take seconds. Even for large sums of money, they can be very easy to transfer and get verified by lawyers, especially if you're doing it on the regular as a football club. I'm just saying... Independent regulator hopefully solves that issue because there are actions in place to eradicate that completely. Yeah, well, it's not going to help with Wigan's current plight, is it? Because no. as we were alluding to at the weekends, they are starting to look more and more likely to be involved in a relegation battle this season. And you don't want your players to be less motivated. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about you or me, Justin, but if you're going into an office and you work there and then your you know your and your monthly wage is late you're going to be less motivated to work for that company aren't you so whether that happens with Wigan hmm, not sure sticking with them Liam Richardson has agreed a new three-year deal to keep him at the club until 2025 interesting timing Justin considering the previous news and the fact that they're also in their worst form from the past couple of seasons uh, Richardson's a very good coach I'm not surprised they've thrown a um, a long-term deal at him um, and the work he's done at that football club is, is absolutely astounding especially going from their administration season to promotion to this season to getting them playing 
you know, a relatively good side of football um, with a uh, without recruiting massively in the summer. Um, we've got to remember that as well, which might also lend some credence to the possibility of them not having as much money as many thought. Um, but yeah, the, the timing is really bizarre because obviously that news came out and then it, it wasn't announced officially by the club. It was announced by the chairman which makes me think there's that social media aspect of making people think that you've got more money than you've got, as we've seen with particular potential buyers of championship clubs over the years. I wonder who you're referring to there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sun is reporting Liam Rosinha could become the new hall manager. As a Derby fan, Justin, you've seen Rosinha ball up close and personal. Do you think he would be a good fit for Hull? I, I would, and this isn't a criticism of Paul Warren, but... I preferred Rossini Ball over uh, over Warm Ball. Um, now Rossini Ball has its had its issues, um, but he also had a very limited squad, an incredibly limited squad without without a lot of quality in. Um, they created a lot of chances, um, failed to convert them. But if you're creating a lot of chances for Oscar Stupinan, for example, he's going to convert those chances. So yeah, I'd be I'd be very keen for this um, for this to happen. I just hope he gets patience because. It is a relatively complex style of play. It's it's, it's a very tactical uh, and structured style of play, not in a not in a direct way, but in a passing sort of way. Um, and just prepare Hull fans if he does get made manager. Just prepare for your goalkeeper passing it to your centre back, to then passing it back to the goalkeeper to play it out from the back. It's stressful. <laughs> yeah, I think Rosinha will certainly have time because this season has not got off to a good start and I think that will lessen the expectations from the Hull hierarchy. Also helps that he's of course a former player, he's very Mm. popular at the KC Stadium or whatever it's called now. So he will have more time and I think fans will be excited to see him because he's a a coach with a great reputation in team and he's he's a good talker in the media as well. So that he I think he's definitely got a future and as, as a manager whether Hull give him enough time. Hopefully they will do, but I see no reason why they wouldn't. Dean Hoyle has stood down as chief exec of Huddersfield Town on medical advice. He owned the club for 11 years before selling it to Phil Hodgkinson in 2019 when he was suffering from an acute form of pancreatitis. He remained a minority shareholder and stepped in in October 2021 to fund the club when Hodgkinson suffered financial difficulties. Former EFL chief exec Dave Baldwin has been appointed managing director. There's been a mixed reaction to this from supporters. Some are saying he's jumping ship. Now the going's getting tough, which I think is a bit harsh considering he's having to step back on medical advice. But nonetheless, the problem is I don't think Huddersfield are a very attractive club for other people to come and invest in right now, Justin, if the opportunity is there. Can I get some quick thoughts from you on that? It's it's a, sh- it's a shame that he's had to step away. I know he gets a lot of flack, um, but he did, if you were to believe what he said, he saved the club from administration because of Hodgkinson. Oshkinson's business going in administration last year um, so he deserves kudos for that um, and the overall structure of the club I think is just perhaps the wrong personnel in the in the, in the the areas that they need them Lee Bromby for example I have a, he, leaves, he leaves a lot to be desired from my perspective um, but in terms of the overall running of the club and the, the attractiveness of, of the club being bought I think you are right I think it isn't as attractive as it, as it could have been but then again um, they've got a good They've got a young squad uh, and they've got a good setup at, Hull, at Huddersfield, sorry. So perhaps that might be attractive, at least for investors, maybe not a complete buyout. 
Bristol City CEO Richard Gold will leave the club at the end of January 2023 to take up a new role at the England and Wales Cricket Board. A fairly popular figure at Ashton Gate, not sure how much of an impact it will have on the club. The Athletic claims an American investor could be buying a percentage of Watford. The Pozzo family is said to be negotiating a deal which would see them sell a significant stake in sister club Udinese. Now on to fans and Sheffield United say their cop stand could be closed if fans continue to stand. The City Council has been in touch with the club to intervene on matters of safety. What do you think of this one, Justin? A bit of a strange one. Yes, I, I don't quite understand the context of the why the council would be getting involved. I mean, there would be a safety officer there monitoring the situation, as all football clubs have. Um, so it's quite bizarre that the the council uh, are threatening it. I, I just think it's a potential option that perhaps has been thrown um, yeah, way out of the water. Um, yeah, it's a, it, it's it sounds a... like health and safety gone mad to me. You you do well to find any clubs who have successfully implemented the do not stand <laughs> procedure. I know it's a popular thing uh, at most grounds, but you'll still find loads of sections at football grounds up and down the country yeah. where you've basically got a whole stand standing up. So why it's got to this point with Sheffield United, I'm not too sure. But if anything actually changes, I'll be surprised. Bloody so, bureaucrats. Sticking with fan trouble, Burnley have apologised for the unacceptable behaviour of some of their fans in their win at Sunderland at the weekend. The match was briefly halted in the first half because supporters were throwing things. It's understood and eight-year-old was injured. The Clarets say an investigation into the incident is ongoing and anyone caught throwing objects will be liable to a banning order. And finally, Ricardo Fuller has taken up a coaching role with the academy at Stoke. Very football manager-esque to give a job to a former player, Justin, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know why this wasn't the first story in this uh, in the news segment, to be honest with you. This is massive news and being a uh, a fan of Ricardo Fuller and his ability and just watching highlights of him scoring goals both in the Championship and the Premier League what are I've you no talking doubt about? I've no oh. doubt that he's going to be the difference between Stoke City becoming oh god did he? yes sir you mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? I'm so glad we've got jingles now so I can just interrupt Justin whenever he's rambling on for too long about her <laughs> A story which I only, meant, I only meant to give that story five seconds and you decided to go a whole minute on it. Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep scores as the season goes on. This week, it's Justin's turn to guess and me providing the questions. The scores are 43-43. I'm heading into this thinking this may be the week just in where you become stuck but I've, I've headed into plenty of weeks in the past thinking that would be the case but we'll wait and see shall we uh, let's go on with the first one shall we the first one is Leroy Lita and Ipswich did he or didn't he played for Norwich but I don't think he played for Ipswich final answer you are correct. He didn't play for Ipswich. I completely made it up. Next up is Peter Odin, Wingy and Rotherham. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, I remember that spell. <laughs> yeah, seven appearances in 2016. He then texts Kenny Jacket to say he wouldn't be playing for them anymore. <laughs> what a career. Also, found out just by looking at his Wikipedia that he was born in Uzbekistan. Oh. Which, uh, 
Yeah. It's very random. It's I mean, very random. Someone could have just inputted that randomly. But I'd like to know more about that. Maybe we can get him on the show. I'd love to get him on the show because what a career that boy has. Yeah. Um, fairly decent player as well, actually. Uh, next up is James McFadden and Sunderland. Did he or didn't he? James McFadden and Sunderland. That's a that's a tricky one. I know he played for Birmingham, and I know there's a a random club in there somewhere. So I'm going to say yes. I know he played for Everton as well. So I'm going to say yes. Three appearances in 2012. That was just a peach having a stab in the dark, Ooh. if ever I've seen one. Uh, next up, Andy Reid and Sheffield United. Did he or didn't he? Scored a lot of goals against the Blades, but I don't think he ever played for him. Played for Sunderland. you throwing these stripes in, aren't you? <laughs> you are absolutely wrong. Nine appearances what? alone in 2010. What? Goodness. Goodness gracious me, yeah. Uh, next up, oh, you got three out of four so far, Justin. Next up is Dimi Constantopoulos and Swansea. Did he or didn't he? Surely I'd remember that. I don't think he did. Dimi did he? Dimi didn't, is what you're saying. D- Dimi did not <laughs> play for Swansea. I was trying to throw his second name in there <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Dimi did. He made three appearances on loan in 2008. No yeah, reaction. Taking me aback, yeah. No reaction from Justin <laughs> uh, Next up, Robbie Brady and Plymouth. Did he or didn't he? Plymouth had a good relationship with Manchester United uh, back in the day. Uh, still running blanks. Blake signed for him, didn't he? And I was, I think, James Chester. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say uh, yeah, no. <laughs> didn't sound very sure then, Justin. <laughs> Uh, you're correct. He never played for Plymouth. So that's four out of six. Next up, Liam Ridgewell and Brighton. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, I remember that. He did play for Brighton. I don't know how you remember that because he only made five appearances on loan in 2016, but you are correct. Uh, that means the score is five out of seven for Justin Peach. Next up, Sam Gallagher and Cardiff. He's had a weird career. He's not even that old. Um, oh, I mean, it would have been around Warnock Ball, so it's worth a stab in the dark and saying yes, but I just can't picture it, so I'm going to say no. So you're saying no? I'm saying no. Right, okay, because you kind of gave me two answers there. Uh, you'd be correct, he didn't play for Cardiff. So that means six out of eight. Tom Cleverley and Leicester, did he or didn't he? He did. I think Nigel Pearson signed every Manchester United youngster, but I don't think he signed Tom Cleverley, so I'm going to say no. You you were going one way with your answers today and then going a completely different direction. Uh, You're actually incorrect. He made 15 appearances on loan in 2009. So six out of nine for Justin Peach. Your final one is Andy Carroll and Preston. Did he or didn't he? Yep. Scored a goal. Scored one in one goal in eleven appearances. Eleven appearances on loan in two thousand and seven. I that completely passed me by that one. I am amazed. I thought you would not get that one. That was the one I was most confident on you not getting. I I don't know how. Um, I think it's just finding myself on his just being absolutely astounded by his appearances over the years, despite being a top flight striker for as long as he did. As long as he was. I just sorry. I just thought he was at Newcastle for like. 
the entire stage of his, you know, young career before Liverpool snapped him up. No, no, I think I, I remember his goal as well. He scored a night in a night game, um, left foot finished in the bottom corner. I, I don't know why I remember it. It's weird, so weird. If I had a jingle right now, I'd have definitely played it while listening to that <laughs> incredible anecdote. Uh, that means the score is 49-43 to Justin Peach for the season. Not a great score there, Justin. Mm. No, I needed I needed eight. It was that Tom Cleverley one screwed me a bit. Um, mm. Yeah, disappointing. Disappointing, but I think seven I steady. Think se- seven. No, you got six. Oh, shit. No, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think seven's like the benchmark, mm. really. Uh, I I felt that may be the lowest score we've had this this season so far. So, yeah, not a good week for Justin Peach. 49-43 is the scores. We'll be back again to visit Diddy or Didn't He next week. But you can next hear us, ladies and gentlemen, on Sunday when we'll go through all the championship games and all the news over the coming days from the second tier. And we look forward to seeing you then. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. (laughs) 